0: Several months ago, uh, Sydney and I, we were, we were putting our boys down for bed, and those of you that are parents, you know the way that this goes, sometimes bedtime is amazing, and sometimes it is terrible. It's like, you know, just all the wheels fall off, everything feels crazy, and so what I'm about to describe is one of the nights where it went well. Before you send me any emails, it does not always go this well, I promise. So, you know, one of our, our routines that we have kind of in the evening is, you know, the boys brush their teeth, they get ready for bed, we, we climb into bed, and then we take some time and we tell stories or we read stories and we, we pray together as a family. And it's one of those moments where we're trying just very practically to disciple our kids. Here's how you just talk with God. Here's how you listen to the voice of God in prayer. And so we're just going, hey, just inch by inch, day by day, year by year, decade by decade. Can we, can we teach them how to talk with Jesus? So a lot of times when we're, we're in that moment at night, we're just trying to give them little prompts to increase their imagination for what it's like to pray. Because, you know, if you're anything like me, you can kind of get in that, that kind of rote way of praying where, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night and you're thanking God for the meal you're about to eat. And you're like, wait, why am I doing that? I don't even know what I'm saying. You know, you just kind of slip into that automatic prayer mode, that automatic prayer voice. You know you know the prayer voice, right? Where somebody prays, and their voice just shifts, and everything changes. So we're going, how do we just disciple our kids? How do we teach them how to talk with God? And so a lot of times at night, when things are going well, when we're not you know, ready to punish them forever, we're like, hey, here's how we're going to pray, and we'll just give them little prompts. Hey, we're going to just thank God for something that went great today. Or, or tell God something about him that you love. Or uh, let's pray for our neighbor that's going through a hard time. Or let's pray for that friend of our family that's struggling. Or whatever it is, you know, we'll, we'll just pray together. And so this one evening in particular, several months ago, we're, we're there and we're praying. And we just said, okay, boys, whatever's in your heart, just talk to God about it doesn't matter what it is, just whatever is in that little heart of yours, just just share it with the Lord. So our boys are going around the room, and they're praying, and we get to my youngest son, Judah, who is six years old, and I love to hear Judah pray for a lot of reasons. Part of it's his age, part of it's the way that God has wired him, but he just has this ability to just out of the heart, like he's not trying to impress anybody, Um, there's no religiosity, he's not trying to save face, just like out of the heart, he just starts talking. And so he's laying in his little bed, and And he's, I'll I'll never forget this prayer, or I hope I never forget this prayer. He says, Father, he says, you're so good. You can do absolutely anything. So tonight, would you send a huge tornado into our backyard? Now, I I don't know if you ever had one of these moments where you think the conversation is going to the right and then it takes a hard left turn. And it's dark, but my eyes open and I'm looking for Sid. I'm like, what's he? (laughs) And he's like, Lord, would you send a huge tornado into our backyard, don't let it hurt our house or our trees, don't let it kill our dog scout, don't let it get any of our neighbors, but would you send a huge tornado to dig a huge swimming pool in our backyard in the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> True story, and, and then he rolls over and he grabs this little blanket that's tattered, he's like Linus, he puts that thumb in his mouth, goes straight to sleep, you know, it's like, not trying to impress anybody, not trying to be funny, like, like nothing, just like, Judah, what's in your heart? I want a pool. <laughs> and. My old man's not gonna get it for me, not rich enough, like not gonna do it, so I've gotta go above you, Dad, I've gotta go straight to the boss, and, and I'm just gonna ask, and, and I walked out of his room, and Sydney and I stood in that little hallway outside of the room, and we laughed, and I laid in bed, and I'm, I'm just telling you, for the last two or three months, that prayer has messed me up. Because I thought, I don't have the ability, I don't know that I have the ability to talk with God like that anymore. I don't know if I have the imagination (laughs) to talk with God like that anymore. I mean like, there was nothing about his prayer that was dignified. There was nothing about his prayer that was measured. There was no aspect of it that was involved in, in saving face. Like, you know, uh, he didn't say, hey, hey, Lord, give my dad a raise and let him steward some of that raise accordingly and let him buy into the financing plan. And let us find a good builder. Like, you know, he wasn't praying the way that adults pray. He's like, Lord, would you supernaturally shoot wind out of the heavens to build a, to build a pool? And I'm like, it's absurd. It's the way that God made our hearts the way that he designed us to talk with Him beyond the scope of possibility or probability or respectability and to just come to him as we are with whatever it is that's in our hearts and say God if it's in your will would would you do this thing and this is one of the things that the Lord he's been stirring up in me over the last several months I've thought about that prayer so often And the Holy Spirit, he just keeps challenging me. He says, Dave, everything that you've kind of taken into your life that's made you respectable amongst your peers, everything that makes you marketable, everything that makes you likable, everything that you've kind of adopted into your life to help you navigate and to survive and to thrive in the midst of the jungle of this social framework that we find ourselves in, all of that stuff is a real detriment for you actually knowing my heart. And this is what the Holy Spirit just keeps teaching me in this season, is that every time I come into the presence of God attempting to save face, I lose the ability for him to touch my heart. That whenever I come into God's presence trying to to save face, I lose the ability for him to actually touch my heart. And I don't know how you would describe a, a typical Sunday morning in a place like Nashville in a place like this, I love us and I love this place, but man, what, what I would say is without even meaning to, there's just so much saving face, managing reputation, managing the expectation of others. How do I act? What do I do? What's the person next to me thinking? How did this feel? I'm just going, every time we come in here saving face, we lose the opportunity for our hearts to be touched in a fresh way by God. It's just so interesting uh, what Jesus says in in Mark chapter 10. You know, last week we talked about communing with Jesus, kind of a framework for like, how do we do that? And this morning I I want us to just listen to the words of Jesus out of Mark chapter 10 because he's going to remind us of the posture that we have to have if we actually want the hands of Christ to rest upon our chest again if we wanna be touched by God in a fresh way. you know. I'll give you the cliff notes of Mark chapter 10. It's towards the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. He's getting ready to enter into Jerusalem for the last time where he's gonna be wrongfully arrested, wrongfully tried, brutally beaten, murdered for the sins of humanity. The social intensity of Jesus's moment, it's ratcheting up as you get to Mark chapter 10. And everybody in Mark chapter 10, for the most part, is gonna come to Jesus with an agenda. The Pharisees come to Jesus with this agenda of trying to entrap him so they can get him arrested. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus with this agenda of building his own religious resume and receiving some affirmation. James and John, two of Jesus' closest friends, come to Jesus with the agenda of using their closeness to Jesus to gain some sort of position. And in the midst of this exhausting day, as Jesus knows he's getting ready to face down the cross for humanity, everybody comes to Jesus with an agenda except two people, or two groups. And so in the midst of this, Jesus, he's gonna start, I want you to notice this, look at Mark chapter 10, verse 13, listen to the really strong and yet beautiful words that Jesus shares. It says in the midst of everybody coming with this agenda, verse 13, it says people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples, the friends of Jesus, they rebuked these people, they rebuked these kids. Verse 14, and when Jesus saw this, I want you to notice, he's not indifferent to this moment, he's not neutral. (laughs) He's not still wrestling out his opinion on it. Look at what it says. It says, Jesus was indignant. He was angry, he was, he was stirred up, he was fired up. Have you ever been so passionate about something that you're scared you're gonna do something wrong in the midst of it? I mean, that's kind of the emotion here. Jesus is stirred up. He stirred up that his disciples would turn away these kids, would turn away the people that are coming to him like this. And now listen to his words, verse 14. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Verse 15, and he says, truly I tell you, or I'm telling you the truth. It's like Jesus, it's like he hits on the mic for a second. He says, hey, I need you to hear this. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, what's the Bible say? We'll never enter into it. And he took the kids into his arms, he placed his hands on them, and then he blessed them. There's these moments where, this moment where all of these people are coming to Jesus with this agenda. Hey, Jesus, I need you to affirm me. Jesus, I need you to validate me. Jesus, I need you to give me a position. Uh, Jesus, uh, I need you for this, I need you for this, I need you for this. And in the midst of that, Jesus is interrupted by a group of people who are the only ones who actually know how to come to him on the terms of God. And the way in which they come to Jesus is so out of the box, so misunderstood, the closest friends with Jesus are the ones that are trying to push them away. I want you to just think about that for a minute. It's the friends of Jesus, not the enemies of Jesus that are trying to push the kids away. And Jesus turns and he says, hey listen, you guys have just spent three years with me, but unless you get this lesson deep into your heart, unless you become like a child, unless you become more like a child, you never enter into the kingdom of God. Unless you learn how to pray for tornadoes shooting out of the heavens to dig swimming pools. Unless you learn how to come into my presence with no attempt to save face. I cannot touch your heart the way that your heart is meant to be touched. And I don't know if you have these moments, but sometimes you know I read the scriptures and I'm like, man, Jesus, I wish you would've just given us a little bit more there. I wish you would've just like, laid it out a little further. But I love it because the Holy Spirit in his brilliance, he, he gives us these moments from the life of Christ that if we'll allow it to, it'll just stir up our spiritual imagination. And just stir us up, and, and I want you to just think for a minute, like, what does it practically look like? Like, what is Jesus saying when he says, you cannot enter into the kingdom unless you come to me like a child? And there's, you know, we could break up in groups and spend the next 30 minutes. Hey, what are kids like? And We'd probably never run out of that list, right? You know, I love to laugh with my friends. Can you imagine how hilarious it would be if you were with a group of adults who actually acted like little children? You know, like they, they walked into a room. It's like, hey, my name's Dave. I'm, you know, it's like, I'm 40. How old are you? Like, what do you do? It's like, you know, my kids will walk in. They'll meet strangers. They'll start trying to pick each other up. Can I pick you up? you? <laughs> and Hey, can I race you? I bet I'm faster than you. It like, just the way the kids interact. Can you imagine what it would look like for us to just be so free, so free of expectation or saving face or being impressive or being respectable, like being dignified. Can you imagine what that'd be like, how freeing that would actually be? I just think about like kids, just, just let our minds go here for a minute. Jesus says you cannot come into my kingdom unless you come like they come. So how do kids come into the kingdom? Like, You know, one of the things that strikes me about kids is they're just brutally honest, uncomfortably honest. Have you ever noticed this about kids? Like, if you ever want to know the truth about anything, just ask a little kid, like a young kid, you know, before they've been taught by society what they should say and what they shouldn't say. Just ask a little kid, like, hey, what do you think about my shirt? You know, like, like, what do you think about that? They'll tell you, like, whatever it is, brutally honest. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. I remember years ago, our family, we were doing some work in Kenya, and it it was brutal trying to get to the place that we're going. We traveled for almost 24 hours straight. Our boys were five, three, and one years old at the time. And we get to our host home at like 11 o'clock at night on on Kenyan time, and they made this huge meal for us. Just a huge spread. And uh, our boys are exhausted, and now we have to sit down at this table with people they've never met, and we really hope they'll remember all of the social cues that we just tried to drill into them, and we're sitting there on this huge meal, and one of our boys, who will be, he will remain unnamed, he leans over, and in a voice that is not very quiet or subtle at all, he goes, he goes oh man, all this food looks disgusting. <laughs> and man, I just wanted to die. I'm like, why have we not taught them how to lie yet? Like, we've got to, <laughs> we've got to teach them how to lie. You know, like, this is terrible. They'll never make it through life, you know, just. And just, I mean, just out of the overflow, like that's what they thought. Just brutal, painfully honest, painfully honest. Uh, it's not just with bad stuff; it's with good stuff. Kids don't operate in the realm of false humility, do they? On Wednesday night, I was speaking at this event. I see a friend that I hadn't seen since college. Last time I saw him, uh, he wasn't married, didn't have any kids. Now he has a, an amazing wife and three little kids, and. He's there, and he's holding his younger daughter, youngest daughter, who's like three years old, big curly hair, beautiful blue eyes, just cute as a button, and, and I'm talking to my buddy, and I'm talking to him. He's holding her. I said, man, she is so cute. Like, she's just so beautiful, and, and she goes, thank you, sir, I know, and, uh, <laughs> and immediately he was embarrassed. He's like, no, 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 you don't say that. You don't say that. I'm like, no, that's right. That's right. Like, kids are just honest. No pretense. No pretending, Right? They're just honest, like kids are painfully honest. They're, they're not just honest, they're, they're wonderfully inclusive. Have you ever noticed this about kids? They have not been trained yet on who they're not supposed to like. They learn that from us. You take a kid to a playground with a bunch of kids that don't look like them, act like them, talk like them, they don't come from the same neighborhoods, they don't come from the same belief system, and in like 30 seconds they have 50 new best friends. Our boys play baseball, and so every Saturday, whichever kid's not playing, the other two kids. There's this one place at the ballpark where there's this big dirt mound and this old pipe, you know, which is like the perfect place to pick up a disease and a spare needle and all these things. But you know, the boys are like, "Hey, here's what we're gonna like. We're gonna be playing over at the dirt hill and the pipe, you know." And they run through this pipe trying to get tetanus every week and just all that stuff. And and so the other day, their boys come back and they're covered in sweat and dirt and a little bit of blood from scraping their knees. And and I'm like, "Hey, did you have fun?" "Yeah, I man. Just playing with our best friends." I'm like, what's their names? I forgot to ask, I don't know. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, man, isn't that it? Just wonderfully honest, radically inclusive, just so trusting. This is why we have to over and over and over tell our kids, I don't care how many puppies and how much candy they're trying to give away, do not get in that van with that person you don't know. Like, like why do we have to tell kids things like that? Because they trust instinctively They trust, they're inclusive, they're honest, they're dependent. Have you ever noticed how dependent children are? (laughs) They don't dress themselves, feed themselves, wipe their own noses. They don't make their own meals. They don't think ahead about their trajectory of their education. (laughs) They don't think about their future college application and what activities they need to do right now. They don't lay in bed at night and worry about the mortgage. They don't even know what a mortgage is. They're certainly not paying the rent. Don't know why they're not doing that yet. Just dependent. They just wake up. No thought about where this thing is going. (laughs) Sometimes they don't even know what day it is. It's the life of a kid. They're lowly. I mean, just think about this. We could just keep building it. They're lowly. Even in a culture like ours, it tends to worship children. They have no status and they know it. When's the last time a, a kid walked in and dropped their credentials on you in order to get you to do something? Hey, don't you know what school I go to? Don't you know that I'm in charge of the club that meets in my treehouse? Don't you know that one day I'm gonna be a major leaguer? Don't you, like, they don't do any of the stuff that we do. They don't subtly drop hints about their position in the company or where they graduated from, or what position they graduated in, or how smart they are, or how much money they make. They have no position. They're lowly. They're, they're dependent. They're, they're trusting. They're honest. And just give you one more. I mean, we just keep going, couldn't we? Have you ever noticed just how hopeful kids are? Just marked with hope. You talk to any young kid, and you ask them about what they're gonna be in the future, and it's always something amazing. It's like, I'm gonna be the first NFL player who plays a game on the moon. Like, so. wow, you're gonna be about five foot two, 120 pounds, and uh, I'm not sure it's going that direction, but they're just filled with hope. They're filled with hope. They expect, like deep in their bones, that they will experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it's so unusual that like the friends of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, whenever we see it, Un, unmitigated, unwatered down. We do not know what to do with it. And Jesus, he looks out at his friends that had just spent three years with him, and he says, hey, unless you know how to come to me like this, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Unless you quit trying to save face, the Holy Spirit can't really get a hold of your heart. And guys, this is tough because the reality is, all of us, at some point in our life, we were like that. At some point in our life, like we were able to pray for tornadoes to touch down in the backyard and to dig swimming pools. At some point we were able to to talk with God without worrying about what the person next to us would say. Whether you remember that moment in life or not, but here's the truth, over time, you trusted someone and they used that trust and they hurt you. Or you had a dream and it didn't come through and that hope was dashed and now you would rather not get your hopes up than face the pain of disappointment again. Or somewhere along the way it, you learned that you can't fit in if you come to the table exactly as you are. And so we construct all of these false barriers and these things around our true selves. We put up all of these things to protect ourselves from hurt. We put up these things around our hearts to project something different than we are typically to protect ourselves from hurt. And the more we save face, the more we lose the ability for God to touch us. That's why church becomes so challenging because we come into a room like this and sometimes the moment we walk through the archway into a space like this, we become performers. We become actors. They go, okay, how do I worship? What's it look like? How do I pray? How do I talk? How do I listen? How, how do I posture myself? And, and Jesus says, unless you get beyond all of that posturing, all of that performing, all of that saving face, it's tough for the Spirit of God to touch your heart again in a fresh way. And so you show up in a place like this, wanting to get closer to God, and every time you just feel more and more distant. So the question is like, what does it look like for the Spirit of God to to begin drawing us back into the heart of a child and, and what it means? And i just give you a couple of really practical things as we get ready to enter into communion and as we end our time in worship this morning. Number one, as we think about what it looks like to live in child life faith, we have to understand that it starts with a supernatural move of God. It's a supernatural move of God. Like, in other words, God has to do something in your life. You have to open yourself up to God doing that something in your life. Like, I love that moment where Jesus, in John chapter three, he's talking with Nicodemus, who was like the creme de la creme. He was the the spiritual leader that everybody wanted to be around. He had all of the respect. He had all of the authority. He had everything going in the right direction. And Jesus looked at Nicodemus, and he said virtually the same thing to him that he said to his disciples here in Mark chapter 10. He said, he said Nicodemus, he said, unless you were what? Unless you're born again. Unless God does something in your life to, to give you new birth, to rebirth you, you cannot see, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, he was so confused by this because it went against everything that he had learned about life and religion up to that point. See, the world had taught him that the mark of maturity was moving from independence or from dependence to independence, right? That's what we're taught, like as kids. I'm dependent on my parents. I want to be mature, so I become independent. He was taught that the mark of maturity was moving from dependence to independence. That's how the world works. He was was taught that the mark of maturity was moving from a place of neediness to sufficiency. That's how the world works. But in the kingdom of God, it's upside down, it's backwards. And in the kingdom of God, maturity is not marked by your journey toward independence, it's marked by God doing something in you so that you move from independence to total dependence on God. That you move from pretending you are sufficient and put together to admitting that you are needy and need God to do something in your life. And he looks at Nicodemus and he says, He says, until you recognize that the Spirit of God has to supernaturally do something in you, you're gonna keep walking in with this posture. You're gonna keep saving face and God can't touch your heart. And Nicodemus was so profoundly confused by that. He looked at Jesus, he said, how can an old guy like me crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? And he said, no, God's gotta do something here. And for some of you, your first journey back into the heart of a child, into the heart of what God has made you is just you crying out to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I don't even know what this looks like, but I need you to give me new birth by the power of the Holy Spirit again. We become like children through supernatural moves of God as we just keep crying out to God. Secondly, we become like children again through situations that none of us would ever ask for. It's interesting how God will use really challenging situations in your life to peel away the layers and the mask that you aren't willing to peel away on your own. So what we talked about a little bit last week is we looked at the beginning of the Beatitudes All of these people are coming to Jesus in their neediness, their lives hadn't worked out the way that they wanted them to work out. College didn't go the way they wanted. Marriage didn't go the way they wanted. Religion didn't go the way that they wanted it to go. All of them were broken, all of them were needy. It says at the end of Matthew chapter four that Jesus touched them, blessed them, healed them. And then he turns and he begins to explain to them in Matthew chapter five what had happened. And it's so confusing to us because we often read it out of context. But Jesus, he's looking at these people who they are experiencing the reversal of their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're going from being, independent to dependent, from sufficient to needy. He says, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who are mourning when your marriage isn't going the way that you thought it was. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. And I want you to hear this. He's speaking into this reality that every one of them were facing situations they would have never asked for. And the hard situation was not the blessing. I want you to hear me very clearly. Hard situations are not the blessing. There's a lot of people that go through hard situations and they never encounter God. Hard situations are not the blessing. But God in his kindness will use hard situations to remove the layers, to remove the mask, to remove the areas of projective Christianity from us so that the Lord can reach out and touch our lives again. And earlier this spring, uh, I've referenced this a little bit, now's not the time to tell the whole story, but earlier this spring, we were on a trip with our family and our oldest son, Micah, he and I were skiing. and on the last run of the last day um, and we are going down uh, this, this mountain and he accidentally takes this wrong turn off of the course and I'm right behind him, I'm trying to catch him. I'm trying to get there. And he takes this wrong turn off the course And he shoots off this like 10 foot, just sheer drop embankment and lands on his back on this gravel covered, snow covered um, access road and severely breaks his arm. Some of you know this like literally, basically breaks his arm off of his body. He's laying there, nobody's around us. Um, I I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea how serious this is. I don't know if it's a neck injury or a head injury. Just crying out in pain to God. And it's crazy what happens when you find yourself in situations like that, where all of a sudden, just all of the the things that you tend to put up, in that moment, I'm not thinking about being a pastor, I'm not thinking about the lesson I'm gonna learn from God in all of this. I'm not thinking about any of that. like You just begin to just talk out of your heart because you know there's nothing you can do to make it better. It's in situations like that that all of the faking, all of the pretending, all of the pretense just goes away. And it's crazy how God uses these moments in our life. He steps in supernaturally to give us rebirth. He comes in in these situations that we would have never asked for. And he allows our neediness to come to the surface so they can reach out and to touch the Lord again and to be touched by the Lord again. It's supernatural. At times it's situational. And maybe most importantly for us to just take into our hearts again, is it is slow and steady. (laughs) It's this thing that the Lord just keeps doing over and over and over and over in time. It's that sanctifying work where, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get in community and the the Spirit of God will touch you on the heart and say, hey Will, you're still kinda faking it here, bro, quit that. It's that thing that'll happen as you're praying with a group of friends and Allie, he's like, hey, you didn't really share what you needed there. You shared what felt socially acceptable. Hey Jeff, what, what, what you really need to, to bring to the table here. Like, it's more than that. And it's just this slow and steady commitment where we come into the presence of God in the context of community, and we have to make this continual daily commitment that we will no longer fake it anymore. <laughs> And it is so hard to do in community, and I'm just telling you, it is so hard to do with Jesus, but it is that slow and steady, it is that sanctifying work that just keeps happening over and over and over and over. It's what Jesus says in John chapter one, verses 12 and 13. He says that anybody that learns to trust in Jesus, to put their freight on Jesus, he has given them the right to become children of God. That daily choice, I'm just gonna keep trusting, I'm gonna keep believing, And there's something about that birth and that rebirth that just keeps happening over and over and over and over. Just really practically, I challenge you this week, whether you like to journal or not, to write down every prayer that you pray. And I wanna challenge you, just a simple challenge. Seven days, don't tell a single lie to God. And you're like, oh, that's pretty easy. I never lie to God. I guarantee you, you lie to God all the time. I I do, like when I don't mean to. But I come into God with, Half of my heart, half of myself, half of what I need, half of what I, I pretend, I posture, I, I just wanna encourage you. Uh, just see if you can go a whole week by the grace and the help of Jesus coming into his presence as your true self. Now I wanna say this very clearly. When you come as your true self, the Lord receives you that way, but he never leaves you that way. And that's another sermon for another day, but I'm just telling you, transformation can't happen until we come as our true self into that place. Lord, here's where I'm at. Here's what I need. You know, at the end of Mark chapter 10, I just want you to notice this, I'm not gonna preach it today, but all of these people come to Jesus with this agenda, except for this group of kids. And then at the very end of that day, there's a guy named Bartimaeus who's blind. And Mark gives us a glimpse of what it looks like in real time for an adult to enter into the kingdom as a kid. (laughs) And there's this moment where Bartimaeus, he doesn't know any of the rules. He doesn't need to know any of the stuff that he's supposed to say, the stuff that he's not supposed to do. He doesn't care about saving face. He cries out to Jesus in a way that's undignified. It's not put together. And Jesus looks right at him and he says, what do you want? And from the trueness of who he is, he says, Jesus, this is what I want. And the Lord does for Bartimaeus what he does for those kids, what he wants to do for you this morning. He puts his hands on them. He blesses them and he makes them new. This morning, there's so much that God wants to do in this space. There's layers that he wants to peel back. Guys, we're gonna gonna worship together, we're gonna pray together, we're gonna receive communion together, and you get a choice. Do you come to this moment like an adult, fully put together, saving face? Or by the grace and the help of Jesus, do you come as you are? Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I need. I I wanna encourage you. as you break the bread and as you take the cup in community here in just a moment to ask the other person hey what's one thing you need Jesus to do in li- your life this week and I want to encourage you to have the courage to say what it actually is and to be a safe space where we can be true people kids in the presence of the king believing that he'll wrap his arms around us and touch us if, if you don't know I have anybody in this room that you can do that with there'll be some men and women that the respond banner here in a minute we'd love to pray with you for some of you, it's taken that first step toward King Jesus. You've never become a follower of Jesus and you have questions, we'd love to help you do that. You can come to the respond banner. But, but I just encourage you, let me pray over you and then you're gonna get in groups of two or three with the people right next to you. We'll spend some time praying, taking communion and then we'll end our day in worship. Father, I love you. And Lord, I, just, I recognize that even right now as I'm talking to you on a microphone in front of other people, it is hard for me to just come to you with the trueness of heart. So Jesus, I just I ask you very simply this morning, would you give us supernatural breakthrough? Would you help us to, to push through all of the layers, through all of the mask, through all of the pretending, and to come to you like kids, and to come to one another like kids? Honest, vulnerable, trusting, hopeful, dependent. God, would you touch us, touch our hearts, touch our lives in the midst of that. In the name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks, amen.